Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome. My name is Noel. As you guys can see, I am back in my office this week. Uh, for those of you who tuned in last week, <clears throat> excuse me, thank you for coming back. Uh, this evidence as to why I get offices such as this. I'm at the Hilton tonight. And um, the last two weeks I gave, I decided to try my camper out on the beach. And two weeks ago, the internet, I think, was pretty good. And last week it was just choppy and terrible quality sounds. Hopefully it goes better tonight. And again, thank you for coming back. You know, a funny thing happened on the way to the Sabbath gathering. I should point out that every single week we meet at the Unexpected Cosmology Discord group. There are links under these videos where you can go uh, check it out. I put them, I think, on all my YouTube channels. Sometimes I forget on the live. Uh, but anyways, we go in there and we talk for a couple hours. We just shoot the breeze over anything. And uh discord like went down tonight and uh that's one way to disperse the crowd i guess but uh anyways went back up good times here we are so <clears throat> i'm on the uh the unexpected cosmology website right now and uh, i just lost on my computer here we go okay and i wanted to take you guys through a few new things before we get into the torah portions tonight uh take you a few take you through a few things on here. You can see right here, uh, the glorious appearing of Yehusha HaMashiach. I, I came out with that like two months ago. Um, and uh, I can't believe it's been two months. Time's going by. That was one of the selections of the month. And I want to quickly explain uh, for those of you who uh, do want to support the ministry. Now, I'm just talking generally about the the ministry, how we do things here, giving you a quick tour. This is not intended to be like a, you know, uh, any kind of Sabbath uh fundraising activity uh but for those of you who do want to support the ministry we have different options available we have the uh you know we have five dollars a month fifteen dollars a month 30 50 70 100 150 so on and so forth but what's unique about this is that anyone who gives on patreon that amount or any amount that they choose on there uh they get that ex that person gets that exact same money every month uh as a coupon to use in the store so you could come back and you could spend that 5, 15, 30, 50, 70, 100, 150, or not. It's up to you. And you can select any of these things. I'll take you through this. We, you know, because the Unexpected Cosmology, we are a publishing company. We're very ambitious. I come out with a new magazine every month. You can see some of the magazines right here. We come out with a new book every single month. Um, a lot of different material uh, right here, the one I'm kind of showing you right here. This is the December uh, magazine, uh, Tuck magazine. And this one deals with like the mud flood, Milton Cities, the Watchers release, some great articles. And there are a lot of guest writers, that kind of stuff. Uh, here's the latest for January. It just came out with uh, this week. Uh, it's available um, for your pleasure, reading pleasure. You can get this in ebook or on print. This one deals with water, water consciousness, star forts, star cities, that good stuff. Um, this one here, the Book of the Illuminators, I'm really particularly uh, excited about this one. We've been doing the book club where we release a new book every month for uh, just over a year now. We've reached the year anniversary of doing it. I'm so happy we've made it that far. And a year ago, we published the uh, the Books of the Nazarene, which you see over here on the right. And that was put out by Adam Fink and Parable of the Vineyard. Well, what we're doing is, is we're, the Book of the Illuminators is the original title. It's also known as the Gospel of Kaleidi. But it's the original title, and we've gone in. We've I redid the whole thing. I inserted the first two chapters that were taken out of the books, book of the Nazarene, um, and I also put in the book of Britain. For those of you who remember, we did a study on that. And the way 
this, the book of the Illuminators ends, or the Gospel of Clyde, it ends with Yosef uh, of Rama, or Joseph of Arimathea, uh, taking Mary Magdalene to, uh, to Europe, to Britain, to France, and then to Britain. And then the Book of Britain picks up right as he lands on the shore. So it's just a perfect segue it, for a complete story. If you can think of like uh, the, the, the Acts being the Acts of the Apostles and Canon being a follow-up to the Gospels, it's the same thing with the Book of Britain being the Acts of Joseph of Arimathea after the Book of the Illuminator. So we have that. Right next to it, we have the Witness of the Stars. Uh, for those of you who purchase a copy, uh, I am still planning to do a series on it. I want to real soon in the next couple of weeks, hopefully maybe on Thursday nights, uh, start doing just a straight read through of it. So for those of you who have the book in your possession, you could uh, read along. Uh, we also just uploaded uh, Bear Sheath. Well, that's what we're going to be going through tonight, Pamela's edition. For those of you who purchased an ebook, we have the final copy available now. So if you have already purchased an ebook and would like the final copy, come get a hold of us. We'll send it to you, no problem. But we have this in physical book form now. And um, let's see what else do we have here. A lot of new stuff on here. I just wanted to show you guys real quick. Of course, we have uh, Don's products down here. His teas make some amazing teas. Uh, we have some new jewelry in stock. And then this, I'm going to start putting this up more for our our support members uh, and anyone who supports this is just like free reading material this is exclusively for anybody who is a member they can come and download this is his pearl i talk a lot about this with the hidden wilderness it's phenomenal read and this is a special uh i i personally formatted this as a very special edition so if you guys want to check that out all right let's get to let's get started tonight and i don't know about you guys but uh, I got to stop the screen here for a second. I don't know about you guys, but I am so thankful that Allah Hayam created this world and that I get to uh, be here, that he created me as a soul. And I get to be here and experience this and uh, go through the these tests, you know, of our, uh, of our existence and to discover Yahuwah or Yahusha HaMashiach. So uh, I... I talked, I think, last week or the week before about the different ways in which Yosef is compared to Mashiach. And he's a he's a prototype, right? A shadow. Uh, a lot of parallels between the two. Now, I've had on my stack to-do list for like three years now, probably three years, wanting to write a paper on the comparisons between the two. But since I haven't done that yet, I was hoping to maybe the last couple of weeks. I'm like, I'm not going to do it this year maybe next year. In the meantime, here is a, uh, a website that they have put together 60 ways that they say Joseph prefigures Jesus or Yahusha. Now, it, it appears that they're only going by canon. Now, if, if, if and when I come up with the list, I think it's going to look very different because uh, when you go into Jasher, when you go into Joseph and Aseneth, when you go into these different books, it exponentially gets larger. It just balloons up. Like if you guys can think of the 200 proofs for why the earth is flat, in canon, right, or I shouldn't say proofs, 200 scripture passages describing the motionless realm under a solid firmament, right, on pillars with waters above, right? As soon as you go into the extra biblical books, all of a sudden that just magnifies probably up in the thousands, right? It just gets massive. So let's start looking through some of these. Uh, Yosef's mother, Rachel, was barren, and her pregnancy was the result of the direct intervention of Allah Hayam. 
Yeshua's mother, Miriam, was a virgin, and her pregnancy was the result of the direct inter intervention of Allah Hayam. The birth of Rachel's son would remove reproach from Yasharel. The birth of Yeshua was the glory of the people of Israel. Yeshua would, would also be the life to the nations. Number three, we'll see if we go through all 60 of these. This might take a while. The name Yosef means may he add a wordplay given by Rachel to express her hope for more children. Yeshua means Yahuwah saves and denotes the deliverance of Allah Hayam's children. Number four, Yosef was the firstborn son of Rachel, who is considered the matriarch of Yasharel. Uh, Yeshua was the firstborn son of Miriam, who is considered the matriarch of the church. The birth of Yosef marked the end of Yasharel's exile from the land. After his birth, uh, his father, Yaakov, left Laban for the promised land. The birth of Yeshua marked the end of Israel's spiritual exile. Hmm. Well, we'll just go with these and see what they say. I might have a different opinion on some of these, but that's okay. You know, the great thing about truth is that it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. The truth is the truth, whether we're right or wrong about it. In, well, we'll skip this one on Jewish tradition. Okay. Uh, Yosef was a pre precocious young man who was filled with dreams given to him from heaven. Yeshua was at the temple discussing Torah with the sages when he was just 12 years old. He was a, uh, a precocious child who was filled with dreams of heaven. Mm, that might be stretching a little bit. I don't know, because we're never given Yahusha in his youth talking about these dreams like Yosef, but whatever. Let's just keep going with it. Yosef was, I would have put that one a little bit lower on the list. Yosef was beloved by his father. Uh, and then we you know this is my son in whom I won't please. Okay, good. Yosef was a shepherd. Yeshua, uh, the Messiah, is called the good shepherd. I agree. Yosef was raised in the promised land. Yeshua was raised in the promised land. Well, a lot of patriarchs were raised in the promised land, but let's keep going. Uh, Yosef brought a bad report of his brother to his father. Yeshua testified that he would that the world hated him because its works were evil. And he actually did bring a bad report of the, uh, I would go further. He actually gave a lot of bad reports about the uh, temple controllers, Parashim. In fact, they're the ones that put him down. So uh, just as uh, Yosef's brothers did. So I would take, I would agree with that, but take it much further than what they did. Yosef was anointed by his father with a tunic of many colors. Uh, we went over that. It, it's probably not a tunic of many colors, but let's see what to say. Yeshua was appointed as Mashiach ben David. Yosef uh, prophetically foresaw himself as the deliverer of Yashorel, the savior of the world. Yeshua understood himself to be the savior of Yashorel in the world. Yosef's brothers hated him and could not speak kindly to him. <clears throat> well, the same thing happened to Yosef. I agree with that. <clears throat> Um, Yosef was a dreamer and a prophet who was despised by his brothers. Okay, same thing. Okay, uh, Yosef's brothers refused refused his rule. We know that the Yahudim refused Yahushua's rule. Agree with that. Uh, but actually, they did come around in the end. Yosef's brothers envied him. Uh, it was out of envy that the chief priest handed him over to be killed. Okay. Yosef was sent forth by his father. Yeshua was sent forth by his father. Yosef's brothers conspired to kill him. Well, we know that Yahushua was conspired to be killed. That's pretty straightforward. Yosef's brothers disbelieved in him. Yeshua's brothers did not believe in him. Yosef's brothers stripped him of his tunic and mocked him. And then, of course, they stripped Yahushua too. Yosef's brothers cast him into a pit, a symbol of the tomb. Yeshua was, uh, Yeshua was cast into a pit, according to Zechariah 9.11. And um, yeah, we would actually talked about that way in the past when we were looking at the Hebrew Gospels and <clears throat> excuse me, 
the way they were written, it really did appear like he was put into a pit in the ground and not like a, a rock tomb. Um, I don't think that for what, what it's worth. Yosef's brother callous, brothers callously ate a meal while he was suffering in the pit. Uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Israel ate the Pascal meal while Yeshua was in the pit. Yehuda, I wouldn't have thought about some of these. These are actually, some of these are really uh, uh, more creative or original than I uh, had thought of. Yehuda, uh, uh, Judah pr promoted the idea that Yosef's life should be ransomed. Yeshua was born of the tribe of Yehuda and became the redeemer of the world. Yosef's brothers sold him for shekels of silver. And then I'm going to be covering that tonight. They paid uh, Yehuda, Judas, 30 pieces of silver. Yosef was raised from the pit. Yeshua was raised from the pit. Yosef was sold as a slave before he was promoted to glory. Yeshua took him took upon himself the form of a suffering servant before his exaltation. Now they do quote Paul in there for for the my my Paul uh, fan crowd out there. But uh, Yochanan in uh, uh, Matthew and Mark also cover the same thing. <clears throat> Yosef was taken into Egypt to avoid being killed. Same thing as you guys know that that's a pretty easy one. Yeshua was a baby was taken to Egypt. Uh, Yosef's tunic was covered with blood. Yeshua's robe was covered with blood. Yosef became a slave in Potiphar's house. Yeshua took upon himself the form of a suffering servant for his exaltation. And I covered that last week. We'll probably be covering that again, but uh, pretty amazing uh, that he actually, that the dreams were misinterpreted. It wasn't that he was just to be some like awed and reverenced, you know, God on the earth that no one's going to be worshiping. No, he was going to be the servant of mankind. And he had to learn the hard way through going through prison and so on and so forth. It was all part of God's plan. Uh, Yahuwah was with Yosef in his humiliation and prospered him. Yeshua grew in wisdom and favor. He always did those things that pleased the Father. Uh, Yosef was made an overseer. Uh, Yeshua is the shepherd and overseer. Yosef was tempted but did not sin. Yeshua was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And of course, the the, the temptations of Yosef was to go, you know, Potiphar's wife, and it was ongoing for years and years, just nonstop. I mean, most men would <laughs> would buckle under that temptation a lot sooner than uh, than uh, obviously Yosef never gave in. Yosef was falsely accused, and indeed the Torah does not attribute any sin to him. That's interesting. Um, and some people may you know argue about that, but yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, I can't find. It. If you guys can find some, let me know. Yeshua was falsely accused by the religious authorities. Of course, you know, there's no sin attributed to him either. Uh, Yosef's legal accuser, Potiphar, likely believed in his innocence, but perverted justice to save face. I'm going to be talking a little bit about that tonight, about Potiphar and uh, the justice system of Egypt, what I could uncover. Yeshua was unjustly condemned by his Roman procurator, uh, procurator Pilate, who believed in his innocence, but sentenced him to death to save face. Now, you guys know my theory that Pilate did not actually... Uh, crucify him, but he did hand them over to the care of the uh, the the, the parishim, uh, the Pharisees, and knowing that they would do something terrible to him. So, uh, but there are comparisons to be made there. Yosef made no defense before the Gentile authorities. He questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. That's coming from the Gospels. There, uh, Yosef was imprisoned with two other criminals. Two other. Uh, I actually, I would not have made this connection. That's a really good one. He was thrown in prison. He, the, there were probably many people in this prison, but it mentions two. We know about the two people that were crucified with Yahushua. Uh, Yosef was a prophet who could interpret dreams. Uh, Yeshua was a prophet who could reveal what was hidden in the heart. Yosef was filled with the Ruach of Allah Hayam and great wisdom. 
Of course, we know Yahushua was it as well. That's self-explanatory. Yosef was finally vindicated and exalted over the entire world as what, uh, the Son of Man is seated at the right hand of power. It seems like he's been vindicated uh, by this point, at least in heaven. Yosef uh, was raised from the pit and given fine linen and gold. Uh, Yeshua is clothed with his pre-incarnate glory after the resurrection. Pharaoh ordered the royal criers to walk in front of Yosef's chariot, uh, yelling, uh, bow the knee. And then we that that's really interesting. That's in Genesis 41, 43. Uh, we're going to get there tonight. And then we see that every knee shall bow to Yeshua, the Messiah. See, that's an, another one I would not have connected. That's really good. Yosef was given a foreign bride. Actually, she was a Hebrew, but whatever. Let's just go with that. Uh, Potiphar's uh, daughter, Asenath. Yeshua's followers are called the bride of Messiah and are taken from every tribe and tongue. See, this is what happens when you don't get in the extra biblical books. You don't realize that she was actually Dinah's daughter. But anyways, Yosef was called uh, decipher of secrets according to Targum, according to the, the Targum. Um, that's interesting. So they're reading the Aramaic Targum. Yay. Uh, Yeshua revealed the father. He is the revealer of hidden things. All right. Yosef uh, was 30 years old when he began his public ministry in Egypt. Yahushua was 30 years old, according to Luke 3, 23. Al-Hayam sent Yosef to become a bread giver to preserve a remnant upon the earth. And, of course, uh, we know that Yahushua is the bread of life. Yosef tested his brothers as a disguised Egyptian, and they did not recognize him. Yeshua is a disguised Egyptian in that he is a stumbling block and rock of offense, according to Isaiah 8.14 and Romans 9.33. Uh, and then a partial hardening has come upon Yasharel. Yehuda interceded on behalf of Israel's son Benjamin before Yosef. Uh, Yeshua will one day intercede on behalf of Israel. Uh, the Yom Kippur connection of the end of days. The Jewish people will finally repent and turn to Yeshua as their savior. You didn't put any scripture there on that one. I'd have to look. I'd have to. I'd. I'd like to see a, a chapter and verse on that one. After testing his brothers to see if they underwent uh, Teshuva, Yosef finally revealed himself. And then uh, during the Great Tribulation, Yeshua will open the eyes of Yashrael so they finally recognize him. <clears throat> Yosef was revealed to his brothers as Yashrael's savior. Yeshua is Israel's true savior. All right. Yosef became the savior of the entire world, according to Genesis 45 7. And then Allahim sent his only son to the world so that we might have life through him. Hopefully you guys are seeing that there's a lot of comparisons between the two. It's really interesting how much of a prototype Messiah he is. Yosef was alive from the dead for Yasharel, according to Genesis 45. That's kind of interesting. Uh, but then we know that Yehusha has risen. Yehuda led, uh, Yehuda led the way of Yasharel back to the promised land of Goshen. Yeshua as Mashiach and David will lead Yasharel to the renewed land of promise. Yosef brought Yashrael before Pharaoh. And, well, I believe that the renewed land of promise is, you know, the hidden wilderness. You guys know my view on that. Yosef uh, brought Yashrael before Pharaoh, and Yaakov blessed the Pharaoh. Yeshua will one day bring Israel before the Father, and Israel will then bless the name of uh, Yahuwah in the truth. Through his faith, Yosef conquered the entire world. In the Millennial Kingdom, Yeshua will be the undisputed Lord of the world. I agree with that. Uh, even though we're in the short season. Yosef was crowned with glory and honor. Yeshua was crowned with glory and honor. 
All right. Yaakov irrevocably adopted Yosef's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, into the family. Uh, and then uh, Yahushua, Moshe's successor, was a descendant of Ephraim. And then Yeshua foretold that there would be one shepherd over one flock. Ultimately, there'll be one olive tree that represents the redeemed people of Allah Hayam, composed of both Yahudim and Goyim, according to Romans 11. Of course, you know, the Goyim are grafted into Yasharel. And you guys know my view that Yasharel is a spiritual lineage, not a, it is not a physical lineage. I think Paul makes that clear as well. Uh, and I believe Yahushua does as well. Uh, Yosef's Gentile descendants were incorporated into the commonwealth of ethnic Israel as two tri great tribes of Israel that would come through Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, Yeshua's followers are incorporated into the covenants and blessings of ethnic Israel. All right. Uh, I'm just reading from the scripture. You guys can take this for what, for what it is. It's okay if I don't agree with every single one of them. Uh, Yosef was given the blessing of the firstborn son. Um, and that's what I, I pointed out last week. Kind of interesting. Uh, Yeshua is the firstborn of creation who has preeminence over all the prophets, priests, kings, angels. All right. So let's go ahead and get into what I wanted to cover tonight. I wanted to I wanted to read this list to you guys a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, last week the material was just so much. And, uh, oh, I just realized here I am live and I don't have it here. Let me pull it up for you guys. That's kind of embarrassing. So just uh, go make some popcorn for like the next minute and then... <laughs> Hopefully, I'll have this ready for you guys. I am so sorry. Uh, let's see here. And hopefully, this is the updated uh, portion as well. Okay. Let me just check here before I raise this up for you guys. Um, okay. All right, good. And um, here we go. Usually, I have this... Um, all magnet. Uh, okay, let's make this nice and big for you guys. Okay. All right, that's good. All right. Bereshith, we're on week 10. Can you believe it? Uh, Genesis 41 through 44. So I want to talk about adultery because last week we ended on this note. We were talking about Potiphar's nasty wife and how she was just putting Yosef through the ringer. I mean, you know, she was like bringing over the women of Egypt and like, according to Jasher, they're like looking, she brings them in and they're like cutting their fingers, but she hands like, she's sadistic. She hands all her friends knives, you know, and they're like cutting up their fingers as they're looking at them. Um, and uh, so one of the things I've been working on doing an edit this week, I actually finished it was uh, the code of uh, Hammurabi. And because I was interested in the code of uh, Hammurabi when we see that uh, Sharaha or Sarah uh, evokes this law when she brings Hagar in uh, for Abraham and also when she has uh, Hagar be removed. This comes straight from the code of Hammurabi. Um, and I wanted to see, so I'm actually putting together a volume of all these ancient books from uh, Mesopotamia, uh, Babylon, um, and and that kind of encapsulates what Abraham's world would have looked like uh, back with the uh, when he left Babylon. And so this is what it says here about adultery. If a man's wife be surprised with another man, both shall be tied and thrown into the water. 
but the husband may pardon his wife and the king his slaves. Now, I don't know if the actually the the code, the moral code in Egypt was much more complex than the code of Hammurabi. But there seems to be a lot of similarities. And so I'm kind of wondering here if, um, you know, we're going to see where the, the Potiphar, he's kind of looking at his wife and going like, I don't know if I, I can trust you. And even the judges don't even trust her. Um, but he would be able to pardon his wife, right? He could, he, you could kill the adulterer, but pardon your wife if you would like. And the husband has that right. Well, this is going into the Egyptian law, all right? And the, like I said, the, the, apparently the Egyptians had so many books of law that it would make the Talmud blush. Uh, but here's what we see here. Uh, if you desire to excite respect within the house you enter, for example, the house of a superior friend or any person of consideration, this is speaking to the men here, okay? So you're going over to your buddy's house. Um, in short, everywhere where you enter, keep yourself from making advances to a woman, all right? You're in the house of anybody else, and they are bringing you into their house, and you are now under their um, – their, they trust you, right? You're you're under their uh, uh, conduct, their their grace, their whatever. They're hosting you. Uh, keep yourself from making advances to a woman, for there is nothing good in doing so. There is no prudence in taking part in it, and thousands of men destroy themselves in order to enjoy a moment, brief as a dream, while they gain death, so as to know it. So the Okay, let me just finish this. It is villainous intention that of a man who thus excites himself, if he goes on to carry it out, his mind abandons him. For as for him who is without repugnance for such an act, there is no good sense at all in him. So and what this is actually saying here is that Egyptian law was like, yeah, you commit adultery, you go and sleep with, with another man's wife um, or even his daughter, you know, without the consent of the father or something like that. Um you're, you're, you're bringing death on yourself. Like you deserve it. And they would give the death penalty sometimes in very excruciating ways. Um, but the, the idea here is in the last sentence, they're saying, if you can go have, commit adultery with another man's wife there, if you're not, if that's not repugnant to you, then there's no good sense in you at all. And you're just going to, you're, you're likely going to commit all sorts of wicked acts. So we're just going to kill you. That's, that's a sign that you're, you, you know, just do away with you. All right. Um, now, I'm going to read here on the uh, – I was trying to dig into a lot of different texts. It was taking me a long time. I wasn't able to find the actual quotes I, you know, I was seeking. But this was a really good description here of the uh, Egyptian legal system, which would we see played out with Joseph when he's in prison. Right? In some cases, the punishment was the cutting of the genital organ and burning. This is for adultery, right? which was based on the Bulak papyrus, the inscriptions of Ani. The inscriptions of Ani uh, derived from the Book of the Dead. And, um, you know, I, I've been, I've, I've been kind of curious about the Book of the Dead, especially since some people have said that, uh, have theorized that some of it is mourning for the loss of the continent of Lemuria slash Atlantis. Um, but that being said, the, the Book of the Dead has a lot of like magical spells and things in it. Um, and then also the lead papyrus. 
Any proven adultery with a married woman was sentenced to death in some cases, not all. The married woman, if caught, then the husband has the power to decide her fate or leave uh, to the court. If the husband were caught, then he would be subjected to a thousand blows, which were considered an easy sentence. Now, I put that in here because I, I wanted to find the actual like law, you know, in ancient Egypt where it talked about the thousand blows. And I suspect that that is what Yosef began to receive. I'm going to show you the passage in Jasher when he's receiving the blows, and then Yahuwah puts a stop to it. The divine, so he's being, you know, accused of adultery, right? That's what I'm stating here. The divine justice of ancient Egypt has leniency to mercy, but the operative legal opinion still stood that everyone was guilty until proven innocent, which is the opposite of what it's supposed to be in America, right? Innocent until proven guilty. But according to Egyptian law, everyone was guilty until proven innocent, since no one would have been accused in the first place, which shows the total faith and trust in the ancient Egyptians and in the legal system of law. So the idea is, is that why would Potiphar's wife make up this whole story? He must be guilty. And I'll show you that kind of where that's going on. Uh, the concept of divine justice was central to ancient Egyptians' religious beliefs and practices and played an important role in shaping their views on morality, ethics, and social order. The Egyptians believed that the gods and goddesses were responsible for maintaining order and justice in the world, and they, they would punish those who acted unjustly. So they're basically saying if, if, uh, that if, if, the, if the law is not coming through and the law is being unjust, then the gods will set it straight. So we don't really have to worry about it. So they're they're guilty unless proven innocent. And if they're innocent, then the gods will correct this. Well, it's kind of interesting because that's what happened in the Exodus. I mean, you guys know this by now that Yahuwah came in and he judged the unjust gods, the Elohim. So they they were incorrect in, in thinking that their Elohim would not steer them wrong. They actually did. All right. Divine retribution was a key concept for the ancient Egyptians who believed that the gods would punish those who acted unjustly or violated the moral and ethical codes of the society. The punishment could take many forms, ranging from sickness and misfortune to eternal damnation in this life and uh, the afterlife. All right. And then here's a course from the Torah. This is what it says about adultery. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, now, the reason I'm reading this is because it's, I, I might have actually quoted from this last week. It's actually a, a, a reverse with uh, Potiphar and Yosef. I guess Yosef in this situation should have screamed. He should have been the one like, you know, shrieking, ah, you know, he just ran away silently. She's the one that screamed, right? So she's like invoking his own Torah against him. Remember when we read that she said she wanted to learn his Torah. And he's, and he's like, well, I could teach you the Torah, but I'm still not sleeping with you. And then she's like, well, how about I just kill my husband instead? <laughs> right. So, uh, but she like invokes it here. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, then they shall both, both of them die. Uh, so the idea is, is Potiphar's wife, if Yosef had gone through with it, both of them should have died. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away evil from Yasharel. If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed into a husband and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then he shall bring them both out into the gate of the city and he shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, right? So she's supposed to, you know, 
let everyone know like this man is doing this and I don't give him permission to do this. And then she would be innocent, whatever happened. Being in the city and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so thou shalt put away evil from among you. Deuteronomy 22, 22 through 24. All right. Now on the idea of selling slaves. Uh, this is interesting because Yosef was 17 years old when he was sold as a slave. And we read here, uh, I take that to mean he was underage. I don't know what the, the, the going rate age is in Yasharel. Maybe that was of age, but it says going back to the code of Hammurabi, uh, the 14th law, if uh, there's like, I think like three or 400 laws or something like that. Uh, if anyone steal the minor son of another, he shall be put to death. All right. And of course, Yosef is 17 years old. Um, then we read in Deuteronomy, Devarim 24-7, if a man is found kidnapping a soul of his brother of the children of Yasharil and mistreat, uh, mistreats him or sells him, then the kidnapper shall die. And you shall put away evil from among you. So you see a lot of uh, laws in, I'm not saying all, okay, but the, you see a lot of lo, uh, uh, laws with the code of Hammurabi, uh, the Babylonian uh, conduct of morality that lines up with the torah and a lot in the egyptian too they have this you know this the, paul talks about this in romans how each each uh, government each entity each person they you know create a torah unto themselves right a, a moral conduct um, but anyways the point is is that yosef's brothers uh should have been put to death for what they did that was a grave sin Amos uh, 2.6 says, Thus saith Yahuwaha, for three generations of Yasharel and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. And of course, we know that Yosef was sold for silver. This is one of the ways that he has a connection uh, with the uh, with Mashiach, which we read right here, Zechariah or Zechariah chapter 11. This is what it says. This is what Yahuwaha, my Allahayam, says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise Yahuwaha, I am rich. So these people, this is referring to Yahuwaha's people because they're crediting him to be their God, their Elohim, and uh, their own shepherds do not spare them, right? They're, they're massacring the sheep. And we see Yahusha when he shows up with the temple controllers, you know, criticizing them similarly for i will no longer have pity on the people of the land declares yahuwah i will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king they will devastate the land and i will not rescue anyone from their hands and this happened in 70 a.d of course uh it happened with babylon but again with uh the romans and yahuwah said to me throw it to the potter the handsome price at which they valued me Okay, so pay attention here. Yahuwaha, Yahuwah, Yahweh, Jehovah, okay, whatever you want, whatever you want to pronounce it. He's saying, I am being, I am being valued at 30 pieces of silver. It says, so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of Yahuwaha. So who was who is Yahuwah saying that he is, right? Because he's the one valued for the 30 pieces of silver. And we see in Matthew, Matthew 26. And said unto them, what will you give, give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And this is Judah speaking, who betrayed him. And they said, and they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver, which is, you know, what Yahuwah is priced at. So it's kind of interesting.
All right, now looking at the law of killed animals, I'm kind of, uh, you guys, you know, I was on a, um, a podcast earlier this week, and it was a big podcast, and I don't expect them to invite me back. The biggest criticism I get from people, people come, these like other YouTubers and stuff, they'll come and talk to me, and they'll write me and go, I love your research. It's great stuff. I, I, I hardly see anybody be able to research as much as you do, but I can't share your work. I can't share it because you're really into this Torah thing. Like you're into these, like, you know, these laws that have been done away with. So I, I can't on my conscience share this with people because you're, you know, you're trying to get them to be obedient. Right. Um, and it, it, that was like the big thing. It kept coming up in this podcast as I was talking this week, because I kept, you know, showing, I, I kept taking to Genesis and showing them that, you know, you're, you're saying that you're saying the Torah is just for these people living in the land, even though, by the way, uh, the Torah was given not when they were in the land, they're out in the wilderness. So there's that. They were expected to follow it then in the wilderness. They weren't in the land yet. But the whole the whole book of Genesis is all these moral examples of the Torah being played out and followed or not followed, where they failed, where they sinned, where they transgressed it, and it hadn't been given yet. You know, and it's it's like, how can you say um how can you hold Sodom and Gomorrah accountable for say homosexuality? if the levitical law hadn't been given yet right because it already existed well we see here the law of killed animals and this is kind of interesting because this is what uh the uh yaakov's or israel yashirel's sons uh kind of they did they deceived their father but this is what they were playing out they were playing out the torah deceptively mind you if a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep and to die or be hurt or driven away, no man seeing it, then shall an oath of Yahweh be between them both, that he hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's good, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall not make it good. And if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner thereof. If it be torn in pieces, then let him bring it for witness, and he shall not make good that which was torn. And if a man borrow, uh, if it, if a man borrow aught of his neighbor, and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof being not with it, he shall surely make it good. But if the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good. If it be in higher thing, it came for his hire. I don't know why I added verse 14 and 15 there, but we see with the torn pieces where they actually uh, delivered, they pretended, you know, they took the goat blood and they put it on the, uh, his, his coats of, uh, debated whether it's many colors or just long sleeves and all the way down to his ankles. Uh, but they delivered this all torn up with the blood of animals. They were evoking uh, Exodus 22, 10 through, well, verse 13. So uh, deceptively. All right. And this is interesting too, the inheritance rights of the firstborn. Now I had stated that, uh, that Yaakov, uh, my belief that Yaakov was treating Yosef as the firstborn because it came through Rachel right, who he loved, and he was deceived into Leah. We all went through that. Well, look what Deuteronomy, so, uh, a, someone who was listening to this last week, they pointed this out to me. So I can't remember who the person's name, whoever you are, you know who uh, you, you know who you are. He dropped it in the YouTube comment section. I thought it was really good. So uh, this comes from Deuteronomy chapter 21. If a man have two wives, and we know that uh, Yaakov had two wives. Of course, Israel had four mommies, right? Uh, one beloved and one hated. Well, who was beloved and who was hated? It's, geez, like they're talking. It's like, <laughs> it's like the Torah existed before the Torah existed. It's amazing. Because uh, we know that Leah was hated and Rachel was loved. And they have borne him children. And they both bore him children. Amazing. 
both the beloved and the hated. And if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, what? Then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. Okay, so let me, well, let me finish this. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn. <laughs> it's so sad that like, man, we're talking about like hating a wife here. And this is polygyny for you. I mean, for those of you who like are like gunning to, to put, you know, to get that extra wife. Um, here you go. Uh, you're going to have one wife that you love and one life that you hated. You, you must be a glutton for punishment. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. So we see here that Yaakov wasn't following this. He was actually giving more to the person he credited as the firstborn, which was Yosef, uh, but not to uh, Reuben. And, uh, and of course, Reuben, Judah, Levi, um, you know, and they were, they came from the hated wife and you could see where they, they, in turn, they hated Yosef because he was loved and he was this young little baby boy, you know, and they were all fighting these wars and his father, you know, they come home and his father is like pampering, you know, the son from Rachel. All right. So. We're, we're about 40 minutes into this. I haven't even dug into the Bible yet. Can you believe this? I mean, to the um, uh, if you showed up for the uh, Paleo-Hebrew, we're getting to it. So why did I put Yasher 44 here? Well, um, okay, so this is this is the what I talked about, the, the beating of Yosef. We're still on last week, believe it or not. And while Potiphar's men were beating Yosef, he continued to cry out and weep. And there was a child there, 11 months old. And Yahuwah opened the mouth of the child, and he spoke these words before Potiphar's men who were smiting Yosef. You know, this, this uh, child, by the way, is Potiphar's son. What do you want of this man, and why do you do this evil unto him? My mother speaketh falsely and uttereth lies. Thus was the transaction. I love it how uh, these examples that have, uh, crop up in, uh, in uh, Jasher a lot of, like, People who have free will, they lie. But then people who are animals or little babies who are incapable of speaking, Yahuwah opens up their mouth and they tell the truth. Isn't that amazing? Nice little contrast. And the child told them accurately all that happened and all the words of Zilika, that was Potiphar's wife, Zilika, to Yosef day after day did he declare unto them. And all the men heard the words of the child and they wondered greatly at the child's words and the child ceased to speak and became still. And Potiphar was very much ashamed at the words of his son, and he commanded his men not to beat Yosef anymore, and the men ceased beating Yosef. Now, that's why I, I put that law out there that uh, he he may have been receiving a thousand beatings, like, you know, boom, boom, like a thousand of them by a mob of people. And they might have been counting as they did it. That was actually a part of, uh, apparently, of Egyptian law uh, for adulterers. And we might have been seeing that happening right there. And there's another connection you have to Yahushua HaMashiach being unfairly beaten uh, before he was crucified. And Potiphar took Yosef and ordered him to be brought to justice before the priest, who were judges belonging to the king, in order to judge him concerning this affair. Now remember what I said, that you are guilty until, uh, guilty until proven innocent, right? And Potiphar and Yosef came before the priests, who were the king's judges, and he said unto them, Decide, I pray you, 
what judgment is due to a servant for thus he has done, uh, for, you know, trying to rape his wife. And the priest said unto Yosef, why did thou do this thing to thy master? And Yosef answered them, saying, Not so, my lords. Thus was the matter. And Potiphar said unto Yosef, Surely I entrusted in thy hands all that belonged to me, and I withheld nothing from thee but my wife. And how could you do this evil? So it's almost like they're saying, uh, they're saying, Why did you do this? And Yosef says, I didn't do this. And they're like, No, 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 no. We didn't ask you that question. We asked you, why you did this not that you we don't we're not interested that you didn't do this and yosef answered saying not so my lord as yahuwah liveth and as thy soul liveth my lord the word which thou did hear from my wife is untrue for thus was the affair this day <clears throat> and again it's like how you prove that right like it's 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 like the in deuteronomy like if the woman screams you know, in the city, you've got a you've got a problem because now you're coming on upon another man's wife and she's screaming, right? And she did the same thing. So it, it's it the laws being, you know, uh, it's obviously false accusations being thrust upon Yosef, which is another, of course, connection with Messiah as well. A year has elapsed to me since I have been in thy house. Has thou seen any iniquity in me or anything which might cause thee to demand my life? And the priest said unto Potiphar, "Sin." This is great. This scene. I got. This is why I'm reading for the, you guys. Uh, reading this for you guys. This is a great scene. And they said to Potiphar, "Sin, we pray thee, and let them bring before us Yosef's torn garment, and let us see the tear in it. And if it shall be that the tear is in the front of the garment, then his face must have been opposite to her, and she must have caught hold of him to come to her. And with deceit did thy wife do all that she has spoken. So they're saying, if, if you didn't pick up on that." Show us the garment, and if the tear is in the front, um, then wait, no, no. If the tear is, um, uh, let's see, wait, wait. Um, if okay, they're saying if it's in the. See, I'm reading this wrong, but they're looking to see if she's being deceitful, and they're saying if the tear is in the front of the garment, then his face must have been opposite to her, and she must have caught hold of him, meaning he's running away, and she catches it to latch on to him. And they brought Yosef's garment before the priests who were judges, and they saw, behold, the tear was in front of Yosef, and all the judging priests knew that she had pressed him. And they said, the judgment of death is not due to this slave, for he has done nothing. So amazingly, they showed his innocence. But his judgment is that he be placed in the prison house on account of the reports, which through him has gone forth against thy wife. So they're saying, because they put so much of a value, this is why I read you that law. They put such a value on even false witnesses that if you go and you testify against somebody, they put the value on that testimony, even if it's a false testimony. And they're saying because even though she has given a false testimony, he still has to be punished. We don't, we're not going to put him to death, but it still has to be severe punishment. After all, he's a slave, right? And Potiphar heard their words and he placed them in the prison house. The place where the king's prisoners are confined, and Yosef was in the house of confinement for twelve years. And notwithstanding this, his master's wife did not turn from him, and she did not cease from speaking to him day after day to hearken to her. And at the end of three months, Zelica continued going to Yosef to the house of confinement day by day, and she enticed him to hearken to her. So, <laughs> and Zelica said unto Yosef, How long wilt thou remain in this house? But hearken now to my voice, and I will bring thee out of this house. So. 
Yosef went 12 years without probably seeing the sun. Can you imagine that? 12 years he was in total darkness. And <clears throat> here she is. She's coming to prison going, how long are you going to put up with this madness? All you have to do is sleep with me. Just sleep with me and I can get you out of here. And uh, <clears throat> and still, he, you know, he refuses and refuses and man, what a what an ordeal. All right. Now, before we get into the paleo, I just wanted to throw this out here from Yasher 44. This gives a little bit of background on the, the two individuals that were thrown in prison with Yosef. In those days, this comes from chapter 44, as you can see of Yasher. In those days, Yosef was still confined in the prison house in the land of Egypt. At that time, the attendants of Pharaoh were standing before him, the chief of the butlers and the chief of the bakers, which belonged to the king of Mitrim. And the butler took wine and placed it before the king to drink, and the baker placed bread before the king to eat. And the king drank of the wine and ate of the bread. He and the servants and ministers, they ate at the king's table. And while they were eating and drinking, the butler and the baker remained there. And Pharaoh's ministers found many flies in the wine, which the butler had brought, and stones of uh, nitrate were found in the baker's bread. And the captain of the guard placed Yosef as an attendant on Pharaoh's officers, and Pharaoh's officers were in the confinement one year. So these two um, these two men, the uh, the baker, the butler, uh, the chief of the butlers, and the chief of the bakers, uh, basically they were slacking in their duties, right? They weren't, you know, paying attention. They weren't really taking care of Pharaoh. And we see the same thing with their mismanagement uh, with Yosef, and they promise that they'll get him out, and they never do. All right. Here we are, Palo Bear Sheath, chapter 41. We're almost an hour into this, guys. Can you believe it? Stopping for a drink of coffee. But Yahuwaha, the ever-living, was with Yosef and stretched out over him favor and gifted him with gracefulness in the eyes of the commander of the tower house who placed in Yosef's hands and the whole of the prisoners who were in the tower house. And all that were done there, he directed it. And all that was done there, he directed it. Uh, the commander of the tower did not... It's, that's amazing about Yosef, right? He keeps getting thrown into worse positions and worse positions and worse positions. But in each of these, he advances to the top really quickly because Yahuwaha is blessing him. He's putting him in these positions, but you know he's putting his blessing upon him. <clears throat> the commander of the tower did not super... Uh, super in, Tend anything. The whole was in his hands because Yahuwah, the ever living, was with him in what he did. Yahuwah prospered it. But it occurred after these events that the butler, the king of Mitrim, offended. We read why he offended. And the king of Mitrim, his master, was angry. And Pharaoh was enraged with two of his officers, with the chief of the butlers and with the chief of the cooks. And he ordered them to be confined in the house of the commander of the guards in the tower house, the place where Yosef was also imprisoned. The commander of the guards consequently remitted them to Yosef, and he kept them, and they were many days under restraint. But they dreamed, both of them, a dream. So there's two dreams happening here, right? Now, keep in mind, who else had two dreams? Was Yosef. He had two dreams. These two guys have two dreams, and then Pharaoh's going to have two dreams. And you know what's amazing about this is that all of these dreams, they, they line up with each other. Now, think about this. You Everyone listening, you probably have some dream in your life that is impactful to you. You might have many dreams, but just think of one dream that was really impactful. Maybe it hasn't come to fruition yet, like it hasn't come to pass. Maybe it already has. Maybe you've seen 
this something fulfilled through this dream. And you believe this dream came from Yahuwah or Allah Hayam, right? Or you could say the spirit. And you, like this is a heavenly sent dream, right? Something really special. Well, think about it like this. Yosef had a dream. Pharaoh had a dream. These two other, these are four people who had these dreams and they all interwove with each other. They all related to each other. So how many other people had dreams that coincide, that you will never know about, at least not on this earth, that actually those dreams were fulfilled when your dream was fulfilled and they were all, you know, like you guys all like got intermingled together, you know, just think about that. This is like really trippy. Okay, so but they both dreamed a dream, each dream on the same night. Each dream had a separate appearance to the butler and to the cook whom the king of Mitzrayim had imprisoned in the tower house. When Yosef came to them in the morning, he saw their pining gloom. So he asked the officers of Pharaoh who were in his custody in the house of his master. Why, why are your faces sad and sorrowful today? And they replied, we have dreamed dreams and we have not an interpreter. But Yosef answered, is not Allah Hayam the interpreter of dreams? Tell me now. The chief butler therefore told his dream to Yosef and said to him, In my dream, I saw a vine before me, and on the vine three branches, and the berries grew on them, and the clusters of grapes were ripe, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. So I took the grapes and crushed them into the cup of Pharaoh and put the cup in the hand of Pharaoh. Yosef then said to him, This is the interpretation. I have to wonder if this happened instantaneously or if he like, he went back, you know, and he prayed on it overnight and he came to him the next day or a couple days later. I mean, sometimes people will, will write me. I mean, I know Yosef. I'm not comparing myself. But people will write, ask me advice. They'll write me emails, like serious life questions like, you know, should I leave my wife? Stuff like that. Like, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, I have no insight into your life. Like, I can't answer this stuff. But, I, you know, I'll go like, let me just go pray about this. And, you know, I'll try to like you know um i'm not gonna over ever overstep my bounds but you know i'm just you know try to give something biblical to them like you know encouragement or something you know so i wonder how fast this response was this is the interpretation the three branches are three days after three days hence pharaoh will raise your head and restore you to your station and you will give pharaoh's cup to his hand as was appointed formerly when you were his butler then remember me because I was kind to you. Do me therefore. A, so, and of course, you know, we see that he came into this position because he wasn't, you know, remembering his duties to begin with, right? I already said that. Do me therefore a kindness and remind Pharaoh for me and cause him to bring me out of this house. For by treachery was I dragged from the country, the Hebrews. And also here I have done no crime that should put me in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Yosef, I have dreamed as well. And there was three baskets filled on my head. And in the highest basket of all victuals for Pharaoh, ready baked, but the birds ate them from the basket from off my head. Then Yosef answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Three days from hence, Pharaoh will take your head off from off you. Ouch. And will hang you on a gallows. And the birds shall eat your flesh from off you. Oh, that's a morbid dream. It happened the three days after was Pharaoh's birthday. So, <laughs> so remember this, guys. There's, there's only, I didn't even think about this in my notes. I'm thinking about it now. There's only two confirmed birthdays in the entire Bible. 
Now, by birthday, people will get you know smarty with me. They're like, "What? You don't believe in 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 Jesus's birthday?" I'm like, "No, I believe he was born. You know, Yahushua Hamashiach. He was born just like you know everybody else was born, but we have no records of him celebrating his birthday. Like, you know, he wasn't 12 years old, and Miriam and Joseph, Yosef are like, let's celebrate Christmas. You know, let's let's hang the mistletoe and the the stockings to celebrate our son's birthday." Um, but there's only two in the Bible. So Pharaoh is one, uh, Pharaoh's birthday. And the other is, does anybody know? Raise the hands out there. Uh, yes, it's definitely two that are confirmed. I'll give you a third potential uh, here. I'm going to put this comment up here. I am trying to read you guys' comments, and it's easier when they're short like this when I'm talking. Uh, the other would be Herod. And uh, remember, heads will roll on a birthday. Yochanan, the baptizer, John the Baptist, lost his head on Herod's birthday at the request of his daughter. And, um, and so the other one was a head would roll on Pharaoh's birthday. And the only other one that's unconfirmed that some people have suspected maybe was with Job in the book of Job. When he's going out and making sacrifices and praying, he's not taking part in the celebrations of his children. Uh, according to the book of Job, you can kind of read uh, that might have been birthdays of his children in that. But when you read the testimony of Job, uh, it, it's something seems to be very different going on, which brings me back to the two. There's only two birthdays that are spoken of in the Bible and heads roll on birthdays. It happened that three days after. Um, thank you for that, uh, Stephanie. I'll take that comment down. Um, I want to put more people's comments up. But, you know, I don't, you know, obviously you guys know when I'm, going through all my notes, I get so caught up in it. Uh, yeah, I'll put that one up. <laughs> I don't know what it means. It's may rule in less than 10 minutes. I don't know if that, I, that like the QAnon and Q and thing, but um, all right. It happened that three days after was Pharaoh's birthday and he made a feast for all his officers and raised the head of the chief of the butlers and the head of the chief of the bakers from among his officers. And the chief butler was uh, restore. Uh, wait, I just lost my place. This is what happens when I read your guys' comments. Um, and the head of the chief of the bakers from among his officers and the chief butler was restored to his butlership and he gave the cup to the hand of Pharaoh. But he hung the chief of the bakers as Yosef had interpreted the dream. The chief of the butlers, Howard, did not remember Yosef, but forgot him. Now, Yosef is probably sitting there going, man, like this guy forgot me. Maybe Yahuwah has forgotten me. I mean, let's face it, guys. We all probably struggle with that, right? We probably all struggle with is is does Yahuwah care about us? Does he remember us? Does he think about us? These kind of things, right? And but the thing is, is that Yahuwah put him in this prison. It was all part of his divine plan. Why did he not take him out then? Because he had bigger things in mind for Yosef. He didn't want him just out of prison and restored to his brothers right then. He wanted him, he was going to take him to the top. And if if um yeah, if the chief of the butlers had returned to Pharaoh and he did all that he promised, he said, and he got Yosef out, it wouldn't have been the same. All right, keep moving on. Sometimes after this, it occurred that Pharaoh dreamed and he seemed to be standing by the river and saw seven cows coming up from the river. Beautiful to see. And full fleshed, and they fed upon the rushes. Then he saw seven other cows come up after them from the river, poor to look upon and lean in flesh. And they approached the cows on the bank of the river, and the cows that were poor to look upon and lean in flesh ate up the seven beautiful-looking and fat cows. 
do you guys dream like this? This is just another morbid dream. I mean, if I dreamed like cows eating other cows coming out of a river, coming out of the Nile, obviously, um, some of you, some of you will say it wasn't the Nile. Egypt was somewhere else. But you know, they're coming out of a big river, right? Uh, oh, damn, I would be asking people about the, the meaning to this dream too. Then Pharaoh woke. He slept again in dreams. So here's the second dream. And he saw seven ears of corn spring up from one stalk, very beautiful and excellent in quality. He saw also seven ears of corn spring up after them, withered and blighted by the east wind. And the seven withered ears of corn swallowed the seven beautiful and excellent in quality ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and it was a dream. When morning came, his ruach was oppressed. Let me take this calm down just so you guys can see. His spirit, his ruach was oppressed. So he sent, you guys ever wake up from a dream and you just feel oppressed from it? Like you feel like that was such a weighty dream and you're really bothered by it. So he sent and summoned all the sacred scribes of Mitraim and all her intellectuals and Pharaoh related his dreams to them. But there was not an interpreter among them for Pharaoh. Then the chief of the butlers spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my offense of the day when Pharaoh was angry with the servant and put me in the custody of the general of the guard. And the chief of the bakers was with me, and we dreamed a dream in the same night. I and he, each according to the form of the dream, and we dreamed. But there was with us an, uh, a Hebrew youth, a slave of the general of the guard. It's interesting they still call him a youth, and he's not, he's not quite 30 yet. He's, in his, uh, he's probably 29 or maybe even 30 by this point, but they call him a youth. And we related them to him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. He interpreted to each his own dream, and it happened to us exactly as he interpreted interpreted to us in our dream. Pharaoh, therefore, oh, trying sorry guys, trying to get caught up with the comments of here. Pharaoh therefore sent and summoned Yosef, and they took him from the dungeon and shaved him and changed his clothes and brought him to Pharaoh. Now keep in mind here, all this, <laughs> all this times Potiphar's wife is coming down to him and saying, "You just sleep with me." then you know you can be out of this place like he wasn't shaved he didn't have a change of clothes probably wasn't bathed they don't say he was bathed here but shaving implies bathing um he had to be like you know in his own fecal matter i mean probably i don't know how clean these dungeons were but uh probably wasn't too pleasant i mean going down to a dungeon and lusting after a guy like it isn't something i would well i wouldn't think about lusting after a guy let me let me back that up. I'm just surprised that a woman would do that. All right. Uh, then Pharaoh told Yosef the dream he had dreamed and that none could interpret it to him. But I have heard a report about you that you heard a dream and interpreted it. Uh, Kim, Kim, that is a fascinating comment. I'm curious what you think about that, uh, Pamela, because uh, you translated this. And I noticed when I was reading it, you, you put cows. And, of course, you know, a, a cow is a female cattle, right? Uh, but Kim here put, I put this comment up that hippos are called cows, of course, female hippos. Uh, that would make sense. And so I'm curious because there are hippos in the Nile. Could it be that he actually saw um, uh, female hippos um, coming out? I don't know, just throw that out there. It's kind of interesting. Never know. Yosef accordingly answered to Pharaoh, may Alahayam return an answer of shalom to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh related his dream to Yosef. 
I stood by the bank of the river and saw come up from the river seven cows, full-fleshed and beautiful to behold, and they pastured on the rushes. Then I saw seven other cows come up after them. We'll see if we have the, uh, we'll see if this is answered for us here. Miserable and very calamitous to look at and lean in flesh. I never saw such wretched things in all the land of Mitrayim. They were so deformed. But the lean and wretched cows ate the seven former beautiful cows. Now, you know, cattle, when they're like starving like that, I mean, you know, you could see like the, it, the, the meat, the, the, the skin is like sunken in the bones. Like that had to be a very wretched thing. I don't, if, if they were, I'm just throwing this out there. If they were hippos, I don't even know what that would look like. Because, you know, hippos are, you know, I, 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 for three months about, give or take, it was more like 12 weeks. I actually lived with hippos in Kenya one time. I really did. I'm not making that up. And uh, those are some big dudes. Okay, well, Pamela's answer is she doesn't know. All right, putting that up there. All right. As Lisa says here, great discussion, guys. As Lisa says here, cows don't hang out in water, but hippos do. This is why when that comment was made, it, it struck me because I, when I was 16 years old, I went and lived in the Rift Valley of Kenya. I went and camped there. I was by my, uh, I, my family was back in the States. I went there and um, I was staying on a missionary uh, uh, property, but it was right on Lake Naivasha which is uh, called Hippo Lagoon. National Geographic had just done a nine-month documentary there. And, you know, there was no wells. There was nothing like that. There was no water well, surprisingly. Uh, you had to take a bucket. You had to walk down to the lake. You had to go walk about 50 feet out there through the mud and dip the bucket in where it's not muddy, right, and clear. But the problem was is you would look out there and you would see that I, I could count, like, anywhere from 20 to 50 and not making this up pairs of wiggling ears like they're all out there and they could be submerged and you could walk right up in your hippo uh, lunch uh chris are vegetarians but you guys know like more people die by hippos than any other animal on the earth uh aside from the bumblebee i think it is but it, you know they would come up out of the water so it's kind of interesting this picture of i could totally see that on the nile with these hippos coming up and out so just throw that out there As Pamela says, a skinny hippo would be as scary as a fat one. I agree. All right, where was I? See, oh man, that was that was a fun little rabbit trail that I went down. Um, but um, I digress. And I could observe they were as poor as before. Then I woke again. I was in a dream, and I saw seven ears of corn spring from one stalk. Each was full of of and of excellent quality. Then I saw seven ears blasted, poor, and withered by the east wind. Follow them. And the poor ear swallowed the seven good ears. And I told it to the sacred scribes, and they cannot inform me about it. And then Yosef replied to Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is all one. What Allah Hayyam has determined to do, he has related to Pharaoh. The seven excellent cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. The dreams are all one. You know what? I'm, I can't stop thinking about this now. What I might do is I might go make a new thumbnail uh, for this uh, Torah portion and just put hippos, like, you know, like hippo ears in the water. It'd be so awesome. People would be like, why in the world is he putting hippos in, in a passage about Joseph in Egypt, you know, and then they'll get here and they'll go, oh. The seven excellent cows are seven years and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. The dreams are all one. And the seven lean and uh, calamitous, uh, calamitous, calamitous, 
cows that came up after them are seven years in the seven deformed years of corn blasted by the east wind they are seven years of famine the event this event which i have stated to pharaoh allah has made known to pharaoh the seven years before us will be great years in all the land of mitreen but afterwards they will be followed by seven years of famine so seven years of plenty seven years of famine for those seven shall not be recognized in the land before the presence of the famine that will follow for it will be very heavy as for the double dream granted to Pharaoh, that confirms the events from Allah Hayyam, and Allah Hayyam will hasten to effect it. Now, for everyone listening right now, I don't know if the seven years of plenty are past, you know, in terms of the story, if we are now in the years of famine. But my advice to everyone out there is because we don't know what is going to happen. I'm not a crystal ball. I, as you guys know, I don't like fear porn. But prepare, right? Be like Yosef. Pretend like this is the seven years of plenty. You know, with what time you're given left and prepare for whatever might come around the corner. Therefore, let Pharaoh seek out a man firm and skillful and set him over uh, the Mitreya or the, uh, the Egyptians. And let Pharaoh act and appoint officers over the land and take a fifth part produced by the land of the Mitreims uh, or Mitreya in the first seven years of the sevens. And store up all the food in the seven good years that are coming. And store up corn under the hand of Pharaoh for food in cities and fortresses, so that there may be food to support the land in the seven years of famine, which will be in the land of the of Mitreim, so that the country may not be cut off by the famine. And advice for everyone out there, all right? Because the thing is, is that you know, food can come and go. You could store up food; it could be wiped out, it could be stolen. Government can come and take it. You know, it could be wartime. They say we need this, whatever. My what I think is awesome, and I don't know what was going on in this story or all over the world that you don't see this, but bread. Make bread. It is so easy to make. You can have bread starter kits. You just need yeast, you know, and you just you, – it just – people who make their own bread, well, uh, my wife has been making bread for years, and we've met many other people who do too, and they all have the same story, that so much bread is coming out every day. They can't eat enough. Like it just – it keeps coming every day, and you're just filled with the bread. So if you're like out of all these other food options, you've got bread, all right? You don't have to go that hungry. And bread is filling. I'm not saying that that's what you need for a fully nutritious diet, but it's better than having nothing. And this advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. And in the eyes of his ministers, therefore, Pharaoh commanded his ministers to select some man with the Ruach Allah in him. Then afterwards, Pharaoh said to Yosef, I have perceived that Allah is with you. Now, let me just. Um, um, OK, I'll keep reading. I must have. I was so I'm still thinking about the hippos guy. I'm sorry that that totally just threw me off my game tonight. Got me really excited because I love I love hippos. Therefore, Pharaoh commanded. OK. Then afterwards, Pharaoh said to Yosef, I have perceived that Allah Hayyam is with you, and there is certainly no intelligence like yours. Therefore, you shall be over my house, and by your mouth all my affairs shall be regulated. Only in the throne shall I be greater than you. I know what I want to say. So what Yosef does is he, he doesn't say, like, make me your minister. Um, he, it's very interesting how he does it. He puts on the desires of his heart clearly, I think, what he wants. I think. Maybe I could be wrong about that. But he puts out there, you need to put someone who is wise enough to know this in that place. He doesn't specifically say himself, but Pharaoh's like, that's good advice. 
But then who is wise enough to know about? Well, you're the only guy I know. So the position's open. What do you think? Um, so anyways, I have perceived that Allah Ham is with you, and there is certainly no intelligence like yours. Therefore, you shall be over my house. And by your mouth, all my affairs shall be regulated. Only in the throne shall I be greater than you. Pharaoh also declared to Yosef, Behold, I appoint you over all the land of Mitzrayim. Then Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon the hand of Yosef and clothed him with a white robe and put a golden chain on his neck and mounted him in a hooded chariot of his own. And they proclaimed before him the appointment given to him over all the land of Mitzrayim. Therefore also said to, uh, Pharaoh also said to Yosef, I am Pharaoh, but without your order, no man shall move his hand or foot in all the land of Mitzrayim. Pharaoh consequently called the office of Yosef Savior of the Age. It's really interesting. So we're seeing all sorts of messianic parallels here. Revealer of secrets. I went over that tonight. That was one of the uh, connections that uh, Yehusha HaMashiach also revealed the mysteries of the kingdoms. And he gifted him Asenath, daughter of uh, Potiphar, or Fatwataya, uh, I can't even pronounce that, but Potiphar, priest of on for a woman. Hold on here. I got to go back and take down. You guys are all writing some great comments. Can't read them all. Sorry. Um, all right. So I want to go over Potiphar here. I'm sorry. Uh, Dine and Asana. You guys know that um, I knew, I knew when I wrote this paper, uh, I, I did this like a few years ago now. I did a presentation on on uh, Joseph and Asenath. It's a beautiful book. I have met so many people who they 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 fall in love with Joseph and Asenath. They read that book. They're like, this is so good. It reads like a Jasher, the missing years. And that is a book that is so clearly paralleled with Mashiach. And uh, you guys probably know by now what I also believe mirrors Mary, uh, Miriam of Migdal, uh, being Asenath. Asenath plays Miriam of Migdal. Well, in that book, it talks about Allah Hayam or Elohim having an only begotten daughter. Now, when I read that the first time, I'm like, I pass this by some friends, some wise friends. I'm like, what do you guys think about this? And they're like, I don't know. It's interesting, right? And and so I did like a whole presentation on it. And I was thinking, man, I'm gonna be like stoned for this. You know, like, I mean, people are gonna throw rocks and fruit at me. And I wasn't wrong. Actually, it's Probably of all the things I've talked about, it's like the most controversial thing, which I'm really surprised about because, like, you know, I'll go on like a, a like an interview or something like that, and people write in the comments, don't listen to this guy. He he believes that Elihim has an only begotten daughter, and nobody who believes that should be able to teach. And I'm just like, it says so right here in this book. I'm just it just says this. Like, do you like like they don't say you need to throw the book out, they just don't want you reading that passage or talking about that passage. It's really interesting, right? So, anyways, in that presentation, um, and you know, since that time, of course, I've kind of come to more understanding of what I think the only begotten daughter is, and I think it has to do with the daughter of Zion as well. Uh, but, anyways, uh, I talked a lot about Dinah and Asenath, so let's look at these uh, passages here, and we see, uh, according to Jubilees, this backs up that, and the king called Yosef to be uh, his woman, the daughter of Potiphar, the daughter of the priest of On, the chief cook. So how amazing is that? So, I mean, I don't know if anyone has, I've ever seen anyone publicly talking about the irony here. 
Yosef is being pelted by Potiphar's wife. I mean, she's throwing her bare arms ooh, out to him, throwing her legs up. I mean, you know, women dress like this all the time in public nowadays, but that was like, you know, prostitute behavior back then. You show your arm anything above like the, the wrist and it's like, whoa, you know. And then she was, it said she was throwing her breasts at him too. And he's trying to look away and he's just trying to like mop the floor. You know, he's trying to do his duties. He's being like mowed over by this half, you know, naked woman all the time, you know, and he, he succumbs these, he does not succumb. I mean, he goes against all these temptations and then he ends up with Potiphar's daughter. I mean, how ironic is that? Right. I mean, you know, Potiphar's wife is just like, you know, rolling her eyes at this. Like, what do I got to do to get this guy? My own daughter gets him, right? Um, all right. Now, there, uh, let's see, reading on. This is, oh, Yosef and Asenath. Uh, beautiful book. If you've never read it, I did a presentation on this like three years ago. I really feel like I need to read through it again. I, just, I love this book. I'm in love with this book. And I've learned so much more since then as well. Now, there was in that city a man, a satrap of Pharaoh. And this man was chief of all Pharaoh's satraps and lords. And he was very rich and wise and generous. And he was Pharaoh's counselor, and his name was Pentephres, just another name for Potiphar. And he was the priest of Heliopolis of On. So uh, that would make, um, uh, you know, his wife, uh, Potiphar's wife, a priest's wife, which I would think would make. I was trying to find something on Egyptian law for, like, a priest's wife. Uh, we know that in the Torah, uh, a priest's daughter was to be burned. We saw that with Tamar because she was Shem's granddaughter. Uh, but uh, anyways, and Pentephres had a virgin daughter of about 18 years of age, tall and beautiful and graceful, more beautiful than any other virgin in the land. Yosef and Asenath. All right. Moving on, we see in Yosef and Asenath, this is where the clues get really interesting. And she was quite unlike the daughters of the Egyptians. So uh, we, we read in this book that Asenath does not like Yosef. She is not. I mean, it's funny how all the women are attracted to him. And she is like... Uh, she is like, I do not want to be with the Hebrew. The Hebrews are just, you know, like the last people on this earth. You know, give me a Canaanite. Give me, you know, give me like a like a Nephilim hybrid or something, but not, you know, not a Hebrew. Um, anyways, but it says that she was not like, she didn't look like the Egyptians, but in every respect, like the daughters of the Hebrews. So she looked like the very people she despised. There's some therapy for you right there. So there's some psychology. And she was as tall as... Sarah, and as beautiful as Rivka, and as fair as Rachel, and this virgin's name was Asenath. It's interesting that they say that Rachel was fair, um, what that all means. I know that in other texts we see that uh, Sarah was blonde with blue-eyed, uh, blue-eyed and blonde, and so she was also tall. But anyways, Yosef and Asenath, so that's a clue there that she's actually a Hebrew. She looks just like the very people she despised, or has been trained to despise. Uh, this comes from the Targum, and Pharaoh called the name of Yosef, the name who revealeth mysteries, and he gave him Aseneth, whom Dinah had borne to Shechem. So there it is right there, right? And the wife of Potiphar, prince of Tanis, had brought up to be his wife. And Yosef went forth ruler over the land of Mitzrayim. So we're seeing this really interesting kind of redemption plan at play here where Dinah is raped. She has a child through Shechem. Shechem is killed by her brothers as well as, you know, all the inhabitants, but she has this child of rape and it's a shame and she just gives up the child. And um, the child amazingly ends up in the same household that her brother is going to be uh, held up in when his own brothers hand him over. 
So just amazing how Yahuwah is at work here. And, you know, I, I'm sure that like Aseneth and, and, and Yosef were just like, oh, when they finally saw this, like just how amazing Yahuwah truly is. Uh, Genesis uh, 46.20 in the Targum, um, we see, and uh, as well as the just, you know, your Masoretic text. And to Yosef was born two sons, the land of Mizraim, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Dinah, educated in the house of Potiphar. So she grew up and was, it's saying that Dinah was, uh, I'm sorry, Aseneth is the daughter of Dinah, grew up in the house of Potiphar. Okay, we uh, educated there. We covered that. Um, I don't need to read this. We, we see another reference to it. We, we get it. We get it. All right, the Testament of Job. This is where it gets really interesting. And this is Job speaking here. And he says, for I am the son of son, I am of the sons of Esau. My uh he's actually the, I think he was he the, the great grandson of Esau, if I if I if I have that right. My brother is Nahor, and your mother is Dinah. Now, this is at the end of the story. I know it's chapter one, but it's at the end of the story. And uh, but by her have I become your father. For my first wife died, and my other 10 children in bed in, in death. And so um those are the children that died in the beginning. His wife died. Now he marries again, and he marries Dinah. Here now, children, and I will reveal unto you what happened to me. I was a very rich man living in the eastern land of Oz, and he goes on from there. All right. Um, and we see here, in according to the Septuagint in the book of Job, it says Job lived after affliction 170 years, and all the years he lived were 240. So we see him, uh, he, and it says, and Job saw his sons and his son's sons, the fourth generation. And this is, of course, after, his first sons are dead, right? So these are brand new sons. He sees the fourth generation. And Job died an old man and full of days, and it is written that he will rise again with those whom Yahuwah raises up. And that's kind of cool because, you know, he's, a, he's an Edomite. He's a son of Edom. Uh, and, you know, Esau lost his inheritance, right? But... Job is one of those exceptions. He was a righteous man who was going to be raised up. Yahuwah was his uh, Elohim. He embraced, he embraced them. He married a Hebrew woman. I mean, really cool story. And not only that, to see that Dinah uh, became, you know, we all hear about the, the 12 patriarchs, right? And I've said this before in past weeks, but Dinah became a matriarch because through her came Aseneth, and through Aseneth came two tribes. And I think that was because, um, you know, Yosef got one and then Dinah got another, you know, Ephraim and Manasseh. And those are two very important tribes. And, of course, it came through uh, a Canaanite through rape, right, which is very appropriate that uh, the Goyim that are grafted into Yasharel are through Dinah's grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh. All right, what is this? Um Okay, and I just want to point this out, too, that we see in the Exodus account. We'll get there in a few weeks. Uh, but we see Job, who referenced the word of Yahuwah, among the servants of Pharaoh, gathered together his servants and his flocks within the house. So we see that he lived long enough. And I did the math on this, guys. I did the math on my paper on um, the only begotten daughter. Uh, and it it lines up with me. I didn't think it would. But it turns out that uh, Dinah, it looked like she was about 40 years old, uh, anywhere from 39, 41-ish, uh, when they, when the brothers went down into Egypt, which we're going to see happen next week. Job would have been about, you know, 10 years old at that time. Uh, it's doable. I mean, you know, Dinah 
kind of rocked the cradle, I guess, but uh, got a much younger man, but it, it actually worked out. And so uh, it appears that Dinah started having children uh, with Joe when she was about 120-ish. Um, and that's going to seem really old for you guys, but recall, you, we'll get there, that Moshe, his mother uh, had children. She had Aaron and Marion when she was in her 120s. So she was old too. So it was very doable back then. Um, and I think Dinah maybe shared in part of that double portion. It appeared she didn't live as long as Job. She was not alive to see the Exodus, and Job was, but I think she got a much longer life too. I think Yahuwah blessed her. All right. Now, Michael in our group shared this meme. I have to share this with you guys uh, because uh, this will, you'll see where this plays out, but we see, <laughs> we see tongues in the Bible. And they're saying, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And then it says tongues in the modern church, and it's all shot. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I used to um I used to come down much harder on tongue speak. Um I've learned to shut my mouth on it. And I, I think my my opinion on it now is that everyone who speaks in, you know, the, the charismatic crew, if anyone here is listening and you have come out of the charismatic church, or you still have a foot in the door in the charismatic church and you get into your prayer closet and you speak in tongues and you go whatever it sounds like you know sha la 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 i just wish that and part of me is like maybe i'm okay with that i just want people to recognize that that's not biblical tongues like it's something completely different it's it is not the biblical tongues of the bible every time that tongues are mentioned in the bible it is a literal actual language from the surrounding nations and of course when the charismatic uh, the, uh, the the pentecostal movement broke out i did have a paper on this i still have it i need to update it uh, the the original people who broke out in tongues actually believed they were speaking actual human languages and it came out that they weren't and so they had to change the narrative uh to it's just some illegible babbling that is a language like a, some sort of code or whatever would happen um but I just want people to recognize look if you're going to do that fine I, I have no i have no opinion on it just do what you if you feel whatever but just let's just recognize it's not in the bible all right it's 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 something else that's not in the bible this is what we see in the asher and after these things the king the king this would be pharaoh sent and assembled all his officers and servants and all the princes and nobles belonging to the king and they all came before the king and the king said unto them, Behold, you have seen and heard all the words of this Hebrew man, and all the signs which he declared would come to pass. And not any of his words have fallen to the ground. So this is, you know, this is before he put him in power, and he's he's like just amazed that Yosef has interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. You know that he has given a proper interpretation of the dream, and it will surely come to pass. Now, therefore, take counsel and know that you will do and how the land will be delivered from the famine. Seek now and see whether the light can be found in whose heart. Okay, let me just skip some of this. Let me just get to the part I want to talk about. Um, ah, I didn't underline it. Oh, boo. All right. Anyways. So um, these, these people, they don't want a Hebrew. Even though he was the only one wise enough to interpret the dreams, these other wise men, they're like, they don't want a Hebrew control. They don't want a Hebrew over them. So they'd say, okay, let's let's... Let's do something here. You have these 70 steps that you are enthroned on top. And of course, these 70 steps represent the um, the, the division of the nations, which is really interesting. 
because uh, it happened back with Babel. And, you know, Yahuwah put these 70 Elohim over these 70 different nations with 70 different tongues. And the idea was is that however many languages you could speak, you could ascend up the steps to Pharaoh. And they're saying if, if he is able to ascend up all the way to the top, that's fine. We'll make him lord over us. They didn't think he could do it. So this is what happens. And on that night, Yahuwah sent one of his ministering angels, and he came into the land of Egypt and to Yosef, and the angel of Yahuwah stood over Yosef. I think he's still back in prison at this point, by the way. And behold, Yosef was lying in the bed at night in his master's house in the dungeon. So there you go. That answers that question. He was in the dungeon. Kind of stinks. You know, he had to go back to the dungeon again that night. For his master had put him back into the dungeon on account of his wife. <laughs> Potiphar's still like, oh, man. Oof. He's... But people are still upset at Yosef. And the angel roused him from his sleep. And Yosef rose up and stood upon his legs. And behold, the angel of Yahuwah was standing opposite to him. And the angel of Yahuwah spoke with Yosef. And he taught him all the languages of man in that night. And he called his name Yehosef. Ye and the angel of Yahuwah went, went from him. And Yosef returned and lay upon his bed. And Yosef was astonished at the vision which he saw. So, okay, just sum that up. This angel of Yahuwah comes, teaches them all seven languages, like supernaturally. He could just speak it. It's like a like a matrix, like download or something. And it came to pass in the morning that the and so he's not babbling, right? Like actual tongues. And it came to pass in the morning that the king sent for all his officers and servants, and they all came and sat before the king. And the king ordered Yosef to be brought. And the king's servants went and brought Yosef before Pharaoh. And the king came forth and ascended the steps of the throne, and Yosef spoke unto the king in all languages. And Yosef went up to him and spoke unto the king until he arrived before the king, the 70th step. So there it is, the number 70, 70 nations, 70 languages, 70 tongues, and he sat before the king. And there's there's another picture right there. It's kind of like a Pentecost picture, right, of, of the apostles being given the gift of tongues where they could speak in actual languages to other people and by the way i do believe in the gift of tongues i do believe in the biblical gift i do believe that uh now i have never uh spoken to someone in another language i have yet to i have i i would love that opportunity but i hear it happens to people and they don't know it like that they will just start witnessing to somebody telling them about yahusha and and somebody else will come up to them and go that was amazing you were speaking their language and, you, and they're like what no i wasn't i was speaking my own language I was speaking English, and they're like, "No, you were, you were speaking pigeon to that guy. Like that was incredible." And so I do believe that that happens, and there are accounts of that happening. All right, let's get back into Paleo Bereshith, um, and I think this will uh, be just enough time to finish this reading tonight. Yosef at once made a survey of the whole land of Mitzrayim. Yosef was thirty years old on his appearance before Pharaoh. So there you go. Another. Uh, uh, Similarity between him and Yahusha, he was also 30 when he began his ministry. Uh, king of Mitri, and Yosef went from the presence of Pharaoh and organized all the land of Mitriim. The earth also produced big loads in the seven years of the sevens, and he collected much provision in the seven years in the land of Mitriim and stored up the provision. For every town, he stored up provision from the fields around it. Yosef consequently stored corn like the sand of the sea for quantity. The amount was so great that they ceased to measure it because it was immeasurable. Yosef also had two sons born to him before the years of famine came. Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, 
bore them, and Yosef called the names of the eldest Manushaha, of course, Manesha, for Allah has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's house. But he called the name of the other Aphraim, for Allah has enriched me in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of the seven which were to be had to be in the land of the Mitrie came to an end. And at their end, the seven years of famine began, according to the declaration of Yosef. And the famine was upon the lands, but in the land of Mitraim there was bread. At last, the whole country of the uh, Mitraim hungered, and the people cried out upon Pharaoh for bread. But Pharaoh replied to all of Mitraim, Go to Yosef, who will tell you what to do. And as the famine was over the whole surface of the country, Yosef opened the stores which he had by him and distributed to the Mitraim. Uh, Although the famine raged in the land of Mitraim, yet all the countries came to Mitraim to buy corn from Yosef, for the famine raged over all the countries around. Now, um, this, you know, this might be kind of, I, I didn't put that prophecy in here. You know, people love it for the Mandela effect about the, uh, the, the famine of not hearing the word. What does that come from, Micah? Uh, or was it Malachi? I'm not sure which of the two. Um, and, you know, I kind of feel like we're, it's, it's almost like a, a reference to Yahushua HaMashiach, right? That there was a, a famine of not hearing the word that, you know, for Israel, and he's, you know, he's bringing them in, right? So he's doing the same thing that Yosef did here, where all the nations are blessed because of him, and they're all coming in to get bread. And remember what would happen when, uh, the same thing with Abraham, remember with the wells, where he would go around digging the wells, and he would give them names according to the character of Yahuwah, and that people would, after he died, they started burying the wells. And I, I feel like when people came into uh, to Egypt, to Mitraim, they were hearing about Yahuwah. I really do believe that. And I think that he was spreading it to the whole world. And I, I think that there was probably a lot of influence of religion uh, around the world as a result of this. Yaakov also learned there was corn in Mitraim. So Yaakov said to his sons, why do you look at each other? <laughs> he also declared, I have heard that there is corn in Mitraim. Descend to there and buy for us from it, and we may live and not die. Therefore, ten brothers of Yosef went down to buy corn from the Mitraim, but Yaakov did not send Benu Yamayam, uh, Benjamin, the brother of Yosef, with his other brothers, for he said, I fear an injury might happen to him. And of course, you guys know that this is the one other son that was born through Rachel, the woman he loved, right? He already lost one son, couldn't bear to uh, lose another. Thus the sons of Yashua went down to buy corn, together with other travelers, for there was famine in the land of Canaan. Yosef was the protector of Shalayam over all the country to distribute to all the people of the land, and Yosef's brothers came and bowed to him, face to the ground. When Yosef observed them, he contemplated and recognized them, but spoke to them harshly, making himself appear foreign to them. From Now, I'm not going to be... Um, I'm not going to be reading from Jasher. We don't have time because uh, it's really lengthy. It goes on for like three or four chapters. But interestingly enough, this whole time, he like he knew this was all set up. He was still thinking about that dream, and he knew his brothers were coming. So he was actually looking in the logs every single day for his brothers. Interestingly enough, Yaakov told his sons, to not enter the same gate. He told them to enter around all these different gates uh, around the capital city as they went into Egypt. And yet, um, 
Yosef was smart enough to look at all the gates and all the logs, and he saw on the same day the names of all his brothers coming in different gates. Uh, and he also uh, he also told them um, he also told when as soon as he saw that, uh, according to Joshua, he shut down all the sales of the grains and he made them come specifically to him. And he's and he's asking them from what country do you come, and they replied from the land of Canaan to buy foodstuffs. Although Yosef recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. But Yosef remembered the dream he had dreamed to himself and said to them, you are spies. Come to survey the nakedness of the land. But they replied to him, no, Adonai, but your slaves have come to buy food, and all of us are sons of one man. We are honest men. We are not spies. However, he answered, no, but you are come to see the nakedness of the country. Then they answered, your slaves were 12 brothers. We are the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. The youngest is at home today, and, and one is not. But Yosef returned, that is just what I said to you when I said you are spies. By this I will test you. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth from this place until you have brought your youngest brother here. Send one of yourselves to take your brother and return. Then he will prove your words true about him. And if not, by the life of Pharaoh, you are spies. And he further ordered them to be in prison for three days. So it, this is like the amazing wisdom of Yosef. I don't want to comment on this too much. I'm running out of time. You know, I probably should, I should just keep reading. But like he, he needed all his brothers together at one place, right? He, for his dream to come true. He needed them, and Benjamin wasn't there. So how are you going to get Benjamin? You imprison one of your brothers. Force them to go back and not come back unless that they have the other brother, right? And then you could redeem the other brother. Do this and live, for I fear Allah Hayyam. I will select one of your brothers whom I will put into confinement instead of you, and you others will take corn for your starving families. But you must bring your younger brother to me and verify your statement and live and not die. And they did so. But each said to his brother, we suffer for our sins against our brother because we saw the anguish of his nefash imploring us to have pity on him, and we would not listen. On account of this, distress has come upon us. Then Reuben answered them and said, did I not speak to you and say, let us not sin against the lad, and you would not listen to me, and now his blood is sought for. There's a party going out in the hallway. And they, and they did not know that Yosef understood them for he used an interpreter with them. So he's speaking in, you know, he's speaking in, in Egyptian, right? Brilliant guy. Um, and pretending like he doesn't speak Hebrew. And then I love this line right here, but he withdrew from them and wept. So he's acting really angry, right? He's all pretending, but deep down inside, he's just like weeping. He's just so like, he can't believe it. These are his brothers. After all this time, they show up. Then he returned to them and spoke and selected Simon, a Shimon, or Shama Yuan, from them and fed him before their eyes. Yosef afterwards commanded, and the wagons were loaded with corn, but he caused their money to be returned into the load of each. Then he gave them leave to go and showed politeness to them. They also loaded corn upon their asses and set out. But one of them opened a sack of his in order to give fodder to his ass in the lodging place and saw his money, which was placed openly in its mouth. Then he said to his brothers, he has caused my money to be returned, and here it is in my bag. And their hearts began to race, and they trembled each of his brother, exclaiming, What is this that Allah has done to us? They went, however, to Yaakov in the land of Canaan, and reported to him all these proceedings, saying, The man who was Adon of the country spoke to us harshly and took us for spies upon the land. But we said to him, We are honest and are not spies. We are twelve brothers, son of our father. 
one is not, and the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. But the man who was a don of the country said, By this I will discover if you are honest. I will select one of your brothers to remain with me. But take for you, uh, for your starving families and go. But you shall bring me your youngest brother, and I may be convinced you are not spies, when I will return the brother that I have selected from you, and you may trade in the country. When, however, they were emptying their loads, then each found his money in his cargo, and they were in fear at the finding of the silver. Both they and their father were afraid. And it's interesting, because remember, he was traded for silver, right? And Yaakov, uh, and Yaakov there, I think he was traded for 20 pieces, though, instead of 30, if I'm not mistaken. But it's interesting that he's returning the silver. And Yaakov, their father, said to them, I am bereaved. Yosef is not, and Simon is not, and you would take from me all there are? Then Reuben replied to his father, declaring, Kill my two sons if I do not bring them back to you. But he answered, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone remains. And an, act, and an accident might happen to him in the journey you are going, and you would bring down my gray hairs in sorrow to the grave. But the famine oppressed the country and arrived that when all the food they had brought from Mitrim ended, that their father said to them, Return and buy us a little food. When Yahuwah uh, replied, uh, I'm sorry, Yehuda, not Yahuwah, uh, Yahudaha, Yehuda, replied to him, declaring, The man swore to us again and again, You shall never see my face unless your brother is with you. If you are wise enough to send our brother with us, we will return and buy food for you to eat. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Yasharel, however, answered, why did you wrong me by telling the man that there was another brother to you? It, it's kind of interesting, right? He's like, he's like, you guys didn't have to offer up that information, you know. It's kind of like it, it's kind of like the uh, you know name and rank only, right? According to the was it the Geneva Convention, just name and rank. And they responded, the man demanded of us about our birthplace, asking, "Have you a father living? Have you a brother?" And we told him straight about these things how could we know he would say bring your brother down with you it's a good point <laughs> i mean who would do that right like he would say you know i'm holding one of your brothers you better bring me the other one um, or else you never see him again and then uh yehuda explained to yasharel send the lad with me and i will come up and return him and if not kill me myself as well as my children i pledge myself for him from my hand seek him if i do not bring him back to you then banish me from your face for i shall have sinned against you all my days if you had not hesitated, we should already have returned before now. Therefore, so he's saying, like, you're, you're putting this off so much. We could have taken him, gone to Egypt, brought Simon back now by this time. And, of course, you know, when you get into uh, Jasher, and it goes on and on for chapters. I mean, like Yehuda and some of these people, they're like pissed like they were at Shechem. Like they're going to tear down the walls of, of Mitrim and destroy the land if he doesn't, you know, uh, deliver their brother to him. Therefore, Yashua, the father, said to him, If it must be, do this. Take some of the productions of this country in your wagons and go down to the man with the present, some uh, balsam and honey and perfumes and myrrh, nuts and almonds. Um, it has been commented on that some of these things may be the same, uh, that, uh, the same spices that uh, went out with Yosef the first time. Also take double money in your hands and the money that was returned in the mouth of your bags, return with your own hands to him again. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man, and may El Shaddaiah give you mercy. It's interesting that you say El Shaddai there, right? The destroyer. May El Shaddaiah give you mercy before the man and send your brother back with uh, Benjamin. 
For if I am to be bereaved, I shall be bereaved. Let's see, how much more of this do I have? Uh, oh, wow. Okay, I think I can finish this in the time. I still have some commentary I want to give. Consequently, the men took the present and took double silver in their hands, and Benjamin and rose and went to Mitzrayim and appeared before Yosef. I'm going to read double time. And Yosef saw Benjamin with them and said to the chief of the house, Invite those men to my house and prepare a dinner, for those men shall eat with me at noon. The man therefore did as Yosef ordered and brought the men to Yosef's house. But the men were afraid of being brought to Yosef's house and said, It is on account of the silver which has uh, which was returned to our bags last time that we are brought to have an excuse against us and to fall upon us and to take us for his slaves with our asses. Therefore they approached the steward of Yosef's house and spoke with him in the entrance of the house and said, By Yahuwah the ever-living, we came down for the purpose of buying food. That had to be really interesting to be Yosef in here for the first time these Hebrews coming in and using the name of your Elohim instead of all the Egyptian gods. That had to be a really like refreshing moment. But when we returned to the lodging place and opened our bags, there was our silver in the mouth of our bags in full amount. But we have returned it in our hand. We have also brought our money with us to buy food. We knew not that our money was there in our loads. But he answered, be quiet and fear nothing. Your Allahayam and the Allahaya of your father has given you that money secretly. Come with me. Then he brought uh, Shimon to them. The man, the steward of Yosef's house, also went out and ordered water, and they washed their feet. Then he ordered fodder for their asses. They then prepared the presents against Yosef's arrival at noon, for they heard they were to dine with him. When Yosef came to the apartment, they presented to him the present which they had brought from home and bowed to the ground before him. Then he asked them about their health and said, Is your father well, the old man you told me of? Is he still alive? And, bent and bowed. But he raised his eyes and saw Benjamin, his brother, the son of his mother, and asked, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? Then he added, Allah Hayam, he will incline himself towards you, my son. Then Yosef hastened, for his tender affection burned for his brother, and he sought to weep. So he went into his chamber and wept there. But So he has to leave a second time, right? A little awkward, right? They're all standing around like, where did he go? Did he have to use the bathroom? Like, what happened? But afterwards, he washed his face and came again. Got to wipe those tears off, right? Smudged face. And restrained himself and ordered, set in place bread. They therefore served it for him by himself and to them apart by themselves. For the Mitriae dined by themselves. For the Mitriae are not allowed to eat food with foreigners. For that is disgusting to the Mitriae. But they placed in the presence the eldest according to his age and youngest according to his youth. And arranged the men each by his relative. And they took dishes from before him to offer to them, but they offered to Benjamin more dishes than to any of the rest, presenting five, which they presented and left with them. Really interesting note here. It said that the Mitreen was disgusting to eat with anyone who wasn't Mitreen. In, in Jewish terms, you would say the Goyim, right? In Hebrew terms, which is interesting because in uh, now, obviously, Yosef eats with his brother. They are his brethren. But this is, you know, the meaning of the interpretation of the dream, the vision and acts that Kifa has, of the animals coming down the sheet. He has it three times, corresponds with the three people that show up. He interprets the dream three times. It means people. It's like there's nowhere in Torah that says you are not to eat with the Goyim. Uh, but and so, you know, Kifa had to learn that. Uh, but it's interesting, uh, and he learned that through the vision. It wasn't about eating animals. It was about eating with people. And it's interesting because we see that here, that we could see the surrounding nations. They had similar laws, uh, similar customs. Like it, it was disgusting for them to eat with their version of the goyim. Um, okay, well, I'm almost done. So I can do this. All right. 
Afterwards, uh, he commanded his steward, saying, Fill the loads of these men with food as much as they are able to carry, and put the money of each on the top of the carts. And my cup, this cup of silver, placed at the top of the load of the youngest with the money for his corn. So they did as Yosef ordered. At the light of daybreak, the men went off with their asses. When they had gone not far from the city, Yosef said to his steward, Mount and follow those men, secure them, and say to them, Why have you returned evil for good? Where is that which my Adon drinks from? He is very sharp-sighted. He saw what you were doing. So he's framing them. He's setting up his brothers like he stole from them. One of the, you know, for all of you who have brothers out there, right, this is how you prank your brothers all the time, right? Like this is like a total like brother prank right here. It makes total sense. I'm not being sarcastic at all. Uh, I'm, so he pursued them and said this to them, but they replied, why has my Adon spoken these words accusing your servants of having done such a thing? You know we returned to you from the land of Canaan, the money which we found on the top of our loads. We have not stolen silver or gold from the house of your Adonai. If it is found with any of your servants, kill him, and we also will be slaves to my Adon. In the Bible, guys, it's something you don't do. You don't, <laughs> like, like you keep to your words, and they're saying, look, if you find this in our bags, kill us, right? They're, they're, that's, he would have had full right to kill him according to their own words. Don't do that. And he replied, it shall be as you say. Therefore, with whoever of you it is, he shall be my slave, and you shall be innocent. Then they hastened, and each one unloaded his load, and he searched beginning at the eldest to the youngest and found the cup in Benjamin's load. The, they, <laughs> then the brothers tore their garments. And I could see how, like, totally angry, and, like, just fuming, right? I mean, it's like the one thing that they didn't want to have happen happened. They tore their garments and mounted each man his ass and returned to the city. When uh, Yehuda and his brothers came to Yosef's house and were again brought in, they fell on their faces to the ground. While Yosef said to them, how has this occurred that you have committed? Did you not know that I observed what happens around me? Then Yehuda replied, what can I say to my Adon? What as assertion? Or how can I vindicate myself? Allah Hayyam has found out the sin of your slaves in their hands. Alas, we are slaves to my Adon, both we and the one in whose hand the cup was found. But he answered and said, Far be it from me to act thus. The one in whose possession the cup was found, he shall be a slave to me. But you can go up to uh, Shaluam until your father. All right. And that's where it cuts off right there. I had to rush through that because I still have some commentary I want to give before closing for the night. Uh, I wanted to talk about sin of the fathers, starting out. And we see this in, uh, this is a passage from Leviticus 26. And the idea is, is that we're, um, uh, we see Yosef go through this process of going through prison, you know, all these terrible times to, to raise the top. And uh, Yahuwah purposely, you know, put him through these uh, terrible situations in order to test him, but also chisel into him character and make him more like himself, Yahuwah, right? Like a messianic type, right? That, that's all of our goals, right? To become more like Mashiach, more like Yosef. But on the flip, his brothers had sinned, a horrific, a, a terrible sin. I mean, I read to you in the beginning, they should have been killed for it. They they sold their brother into slavery. They intended to murder their brother, um, which is a very intense um, um, result that should come from that. So sin of the father. So they had to be reconciled. They had to be they had to repent and they had to be forgiven. But if they can if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I have also walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. Isn't that interesting? The idea that Yahuwah walks contrary to the sinner. 
And you have all these people out there claiming that they're, you know, they're tight with Jesus. And they, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's their God and all this kind of stuff. And they're, they're rebelling against the Torah. They're rebelling against these righteous instructions. They're walking contrary to him. And yet, you know, he is giving these opportunities that you can repent. You can confess your transgressions of the Torah. And that I also have walked contrary to them and then brought them into the land of their enemies. Okay, so who's been being brought into the land of their enemies? The patriarchs are. They they sent Yosef uh, into the land of the enemy. Now they're going to be brought into the enemy. And as a result of the sins of the father, we're going to see um, the Hebrews are going to be there for a number of generations. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Yaakov, and my covenant with Yitzhak, and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember, remember the land. So he's going to uphold his end of the bargain, but there's got to be repentance. He says, I'll remember. I'll go through on my end, but you've got to. That's it. I'm just asking you to repent, right? And why are we in this dispersion right now, this diaspora, right? The short season. It's because of the sins of the fathers. We were cast out of the kingdom. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments, because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them out, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am Yahuwah their Allah. So he is faithful even, even while we are in the dispersion or while the patriarchs went down to Egypt, he was still faithful to them and he preserved them. All right, so Yahuwah awaits for our repentance. So this comes from Isaiah, Yeshayahu 65. That's what it says. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. I, I, I love this picture. This is why I highlighted this. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people. You know, you get these, these pictures of, you know, you see Yeshua, right? He's like these pictures. He's always got his hands out, right? It's the idea that in Yahuwah does it. He spreads out his hand to rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh. Now that seems important. Now, I, I can't say that I uh, remain among the graves. Um, definitely am not burning sacrifices on brick. But, uh, well, I've given up swine flesh two years ago, but I would say that's a common theme. And broth of abominable things in their vessels. I mean, what are broth of abominable things? Like, you know, shrimp, right? Oysters. Those are all abominable things. Which say, stand by this self. Come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are... <laughs> So all these people, they're eating abominable food, and they're saying how holy they are, right? They're holier than thou. And so you try to talk to them about how these are transgressions. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. I, that, that's not sin. And Yahuwah says, these are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. He's so, this is repugnant to him. I should say sin. Sin is repugnant to him, especially when we are obstinate in our sins. And yet he holds out his hands. He says, just, you know, repent and come to me. I'm right here. We see in Yahshua, Yahu 30, uh, 20 chapters earlier or so. 
And therefore will Yahawaha wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For Yahuwaha is an Alahayam of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at, at Yerushalayim. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And I, I, I believe that ultimately this reference here, as you guys know, it's a reference to the, the, the city of Alahayam, the, the new Yerushalayim in the true Mount Zion, which I believe is in the greater realm, in the hidden wilderness, uh, in the uttermost north. All right, here's a one from Jeremiah, Yermiyahu, and it says, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus, thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccounted to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art Yahuwaha my Elohim. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith Yahuwah. And of course, remember now, Ephraim is a representation of the Goyim when the Goyim are grafted in into a covenant with Yahuwah or the renewed covenant or the new covenant with Yahushua Mashiach, if you prefer. They're both the same entity, Yahushua and Yahuwah. Uh, you, you are grafted in through uh, Ephraim, right? This is who he remembers. This is who he yearns for. Um, so I'm just going to read here the ending of this uh, from the Midrash of Paul. And he says, uh, well, you know, see, this is in, well, I'll read this whole thing because this, this, if you remember my Roman series, which I still have yet to complete, I'm so sorry, guys, I want to get to it. Uh, in chapter two, he's writing to the, the Yahudim, the Jews. And he's like, you guys think that you can, you have the Torah and you could just criticize all these other people and condemn them and damn them. And you yourselves are breaking the Torah, and you you think that it's okay, that you can break it. It's the goyim that can't, but you can, all right? So you got another thing coming, all right? And he's going to say here, clearly, you don't get the Torah. You don't get the very Yahuwah you claim to, actually, who you crucified. But therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest does the same things. Now, let me just tell everybody here. Uh, some of A lot of people don't know now because it's been a couple of years and they don't look back that far on YouTube or whatever. But I used to be in the anti-Paul camp. And I used to speak against Paul. And I, I found that, you know, it's it's kind of like the, the situation of the anti-Paul crowd. And the anti-Paul people will hate this. You know, maybe you just need to cover yours. I don't know. Maybe you need to hear this. But it's kind of like when parents divorce and I started finding myself because, you know, my parents divorced and I, I recall back where I was a, an adult and it's, they say it's always harder on adults than children. Children can adapt to it better, but adults, you're like, these are my parents. Why are they divorcing? Right. And, you know, cause if you feel like your whole childhood is like being, you know, like wrecked and you, you pick which parent you feel is in the right. And, you know, and you, you kind of like condemn the other parent. This one parent is wrong and this other parent is right. And I almost felt like that with Paul where it's like, it, it doesn't matter what, whatever Paul said, it was like just scrutinized and villainized and oh, just, you know, like there's something really, you know, just evil and dark about this guy, you know, and it's it's all these like 
these you know submerged meanings underneath of what he's saying and I just want to point this out what he says here whosoever thou art the judges how you judge another that is how you will be judged and i just want everyone to think about that with paul because they they'll they'll point out oh paul and by the way paul what I, i'm totally okay with paul was wrong on some things he was a dude totally okay with that it doesn't bother me the slightest of his theology was wrong and here's why because my theology is wrong i get things wrong a lot and everybody listening does too nobody here gets it right all the time 100 percent of the time and those who condemn paul for getting things wrong like do you guys are you guys like getting this like do you, is that how you see yourself do you see yourself as someone who you get it right all the time that's a scary thought just remember that how you judge other people and including you know how you judge paul is how you will be judged so if you're going to condemn him to sheol or to the lake of fire whatever as a false prophet for blaming abc just remember that allah hayam will look at you and go well that's how you judge him that's how i'm going to judge you that should put the fear of uh, of yah on you i really did i mean that that put the fear of yah on me i'm like oh boy uh i i don't want to be judged the way i'm judging paul that's how it ended for me and i repented that doesn't mean he's right about everything but i'm not either but we are sure that the judgment of allah hayam is according to truth against them which commit such things and thinkest thou this O man that judges them which do such things and does the same that thou shalt escape the judgment of allah hayam of or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of allah leadeth thee to repentance so so he's saying that the yahoo here don't even know allah they don't know him because if they knew his goodness they they would be they would turn to repentance and it's the same thing i will say to anybody in any camp in any denomination right i have these discussions with people and you show them the torah and they they get it they're like yeah I, I get it. Breaking the Torah is uh, is sin. I get that. I see that in First John, and they they're not led to repentance, and they it's just like, what's going on? All right, time for a couple more. Um, I'll skip first. I'll skip the keeper quotes. Uh, you know what? I'm just gonna end there. It's ten o'clock, so that's really good. So, um, just remember that that um. You know, the, the goodness of Al-Hayam, we see that in this story with Yosef and his brothers. We see the goodness, that he is bringing the brothers back together. Even though he did a terrible thing, he is re uh, rectifying this. He's redeeming this relationship. He's bringing them to repentance. He's making Yosef into the image of Messiah. He's making them a servant of all. I mean, it's a beautiful story. It really is. Um, so that with that, I'm going to take a few minutes break for those of you who want to stick around. I've got a whole other presentation to give. And, uh, you know, it's 11 o'clock on the East Coast. Uh, this is a late night for me. I'm going to be going through the book of creation. I don't think I'm going to finish the book tonight, but we'll see. And uh, I'll, I'm going to take, like I said, a few minute break. For some of you, it might be the uh, the last you see me this weekend. So Shabbat Shalom one last time. And for the rest of you, see you guys over there.